Hi, this is Violet Lang. Welcome to my podcast, The Pleasure Path, all about love, dating, relationships, and femininity. I help successful spiritual women find their pleasure and their power to create healthy partnership. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Pleasure Path. And I am delighted today to be talking with my guest expert, Melanie Curtin. And we're going to be talking today about three things you might not know about men, dating, and sex. And if you're not familiar with Melanie, she is an author, a podcast host, a sex researcher, and an all-around expert on sex, and even more specifically around men, because she works with a lot of men and couples, but a lot of men on finding love, on self-love, on doing the deep embodiment and nervous system work they need to do in order to be present in their lovemaking and in relationship. And I think she's got a lot of tidbits that you might not have realized. So we're hoping that this is illuminating and just builds more love and compassion for for everyone as they're going through the dating experience and um, connecting sexually. So Mel, yeah, would you like to share with us? But let's start with what were you the most surprised by in your men's work and in your research about male experience? Because you're a woman who works with men, you know, so what surprised you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, So I yeah, I work primarily with men who have sex with women. We do work with some queer men as well, but just so that your audience knows that's who we're talking about. Um, and I actually started out my journey working with survivors of sexual abuse. And I think one of the first things that surprised me was how many men and boys are survivors of sexual abuse and trauma. And I um, am very familiar with girls and women because I am a woman and I have lots of women friends. And I think so one of the things that surprised me was, whoa, this affects a lot of men, boys, young men, and adult men as well. And um, I would say on the sort of hopeful front or the the um, recovery front, I think something that has continually surprised me, whether it's working with men or couples or whoever, is how resilient people really are. And that when we do get the right support, when we get the right somatic therapy or therapy or coaching, or really usually it's all of the above and the right community support, you know, all of that coming together, how resilient we actually are and how much we can actually metabolize and come through and thrive on the other side of, I think you're sort of a shining example of that yourself. But I think that's something that has continually surprised me is how quickly people can grow and and, and, and to such an extent, I've witnessed pretty tremendous transformations in the men that I've worked with and the couples that I've worked with. And that's been encouraging to see it sort of build over the years as well, because by this point, I've worked with enough people where now, you know, folks are getting married, having children, building families and, and witnessing the whole the whole thing. And just it's incredible when we do our work, when we do our own transformational growth work, how much that ripples out. I mean, I watch our men uh, respond differently and show up differently in their families, meaning with their family of origin, with their parents, siblings, um, at work, obviously in their dating relationships. And it's pretty incredible. Just the ripple in the pond effect is something that continually surprises and delights me. Thank you for bringing it back to that transformation and how important it is to do the work. And I know a lot of the women listening either have worked with me or have listened to the podcast and know the importance of women 
doing their work to become healed, connected to their body. When a man decides to do work, like, is it to have more success with women? Is it because he knows that something needs to heal? Like, I think there's a narrative that women have that men just don't do the work. And I think what happens is we actually don't see the work that they do because they're not as loud about the work they do, or they might have shame because no one knows about their sexual trauma. Like, tell me about the mindset of men doing their work and what kind of initiates that for them. That's a great question. So yeah, in our work that we do, I work with my co-coach, Jason, who you know quite well. (laughs) Um, We primarily work with three different buckets of men. So we work a lot with men in their 20s and 30s, sometimes beyond, but usually 20s and 30s, who've never really figured out how to relate with women well, right? They didn't have a lot of success in high school or college. They thought it would sort of work itself out. And now they're kind of like they're 29 or they're 34 and they're like, this doesn't seem to be working. I need this to change. I do want relationship in my life. I want love. I want connection. I want family. I want I want that. I thought it would happen by now and it's not happening. We work a lot with those men. And then we work a lot with men, um, 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond who have often been in a really tough relationship. So often marriages are either divorcing or they're recently divorced and they know they don't want to do that again. So they're aware that relationship was not healthy and I contributed in some way and she contributed in some way, but I know I don't want to repeat that. I know that I need to do the work so that that doesn't happen again. And particularly, you know, fathers want to provide a different role model, a healthier role model for their children. So they're doubly motivated for their own sort of life satisfaction and health and joy, but also to present a healthy role model to their kids. We work a lot with those guys. And then the last demographic is men of all ages, though they tend to be 30s, 40s, 50s, who are married uh, or in long-term partnership, usually married. And they just know that that more is possible. They want more out of their relationship. They want more closeness. Sometimes they want more sex, more uh, more of a sexual relationship. Um, but often it's about closeness, intimacy, love, connection. They they know that more is possible and they don't quite know how to get there. And some of them, um, some of them come because their woman has done some work and they are in, inspired and motivated by her. And a lot of them come because they've listened to my podcast and they're starting to realize, oh, how I show up, right, as the masculine in the relationship, how I lead or don't lead, right? is affecting the culture of the whole relationship. And when I do my work and I grow and transform and evolve, then I can, you know, lead in a different way and my partner will feel more open and I'll just sort of um, uplift the whole environment. Um, So we have, yeah, I would say probably a third of our clients now fall in that demographic of they are in partnership. So they're not necessarily trying to figure out how dating works, but they're wanting to build a thriving healthy, vibrant relationship. Thank you for that. I'm really noticing that word you said about connection. And I think a lot of times women have a belief that men just want sex, that it's just about the hookup. And what I hear from you and Jason and what you just referenced too is that, no, men want connection. They want depth. They want intimacy of all kinds. So can you break that myth for us about men just want sex and it's probably related to, you know, are men lonely? Do they need connection? Yeah. So this kind of 
brings us to point number one about um, things that you might not know about men and when it comes to dating and, and sex and relationships, which is men are a lot more lonely and isolated than women. This is particularly true in the West, in Western culture, the way that we live and the, and the patriarchy. So uh, I looked up a few stats before this episode just to, to ground us. Um, a lot of this has happened since the 90s. So particularly with the advent of the smartphone and everything, we've all gotten more isolated and disconnected. So 30 years ago, uh, 55% of men reported having at least six close friends. Today, that number has been cut in half. And um, 15% of men, so over one in 10, have no close friendships at all. That number is 5x worse than it was in 1990. So we are significantly lonelier overall as human beings. We're getting sort of more disconnected and isolated. And this is particularly true of men. So women have also uh, experienced this, but they're calling it a friendship decline. But it's a lot less pronounced than in men. So it's, um, yeah, it's about, uh, men are about twice as likely to have fewer friends. And when they're reporting the closeness of those friendships, often they're a lot less close than women's friendships. So they have fewer and they're less close. And this is particularly true for younger men. So when you ask young men who they call first, um, young men today are significantly more reliant on their parents, right? So if something tough happens, 36% say their first call is to their parents. And that's a significant shift as well. It used to be to peers. So, and the reason this matters is because the general backdrop that a lot of the men that we work with have is loneliness. So they often work from home. Some of, a lot of them live alone and they don't have a lot of close friends. And I would say just to normalize this for a lot of us, adults have had this experience of it's a jarring experience to go from school where you're around people all the time. And then if you went to a four-year college, college, so high school, college, to your 20s and beyond, particularly when in your early 20s, a lot of people are still hanging out, right? There's still connection. There's still, we're going out, we're doing things, we're socializing. But then as we get into our later 20s and particularly our 30s, a lot of people's friends get married and start families, start nuclear families. and those folks get really, really busy, right? It's really challenging to do the nuclear family thing. You have to take care of everything yourself and you're really busy and you're not getting a lot of sleep. So you don't have a ton of time to, to do the socializing that you used to. So there's a natural effect for people that aren't on that ride that even if they aren't lacking social skills or even if connection, general social connection isn't a challenge for them, it's still hard. It's hard to stay connected to people and to have those those types of friendships last, essentially. So I think that women, and this has been sort of proven out with the social science, are we're, we're, we're socialized and it's more okay for us to have deeper conversations and talk about particularly emotional topics. Whereas for men, like a lot of the men that we've worked with have said, wow, this is one of the first groups where I have felt safe to share things that I'm sharing here. I don't feel safe to talk to my guy friends about it. It's, it's culturally taboo. You're not, quote unquote, supposed to do it. So you look different or you look weird. And that's a lot less true for women, right? Women talking about what's really going on for them emotionally or discussing the, you know, their relationship in depth, their romantic relationship. 
their relationship with their siblings, things that are happening at work. There's, there's a lot more stigma for men, a lot more stigma for men around being open with their emotions. So they're a lot more locked up and tight and trapped, and they don't always realize that. But the, the emotional experience that they're having is, is loneliness and disconnection and isolation. And I have one interesting story to share about this, which is um, I read an in-depth article I thought was fascinating about um, trans folks who are some of the only people in the world to have a lived experience of one sex versus the other sex. And there was a story by a trans man. So um, this person had transitioned from woman to man. And he said that, um, he said, when I was a woman, I got more connection and less respect. I got more connection and less respect. So things like at work, you know, she, when she was a she, she would get connection, but she wouldn't get as much respect. She wouldn't get as much ease around, you know, promotions and climbing the ladder and things like that. But as a man, he got a lot less connection and a lot more suspicion. So he told a story about going to, um, he lived in an area with parks and uh, kids playgrounds. And there was a playground that he would, he would go to. And when he started going as a man, as a single man, he got looks, he got suspicious glances. He, he didn't feel as safe emotionally being around. Whereas when he was a woman, that was not an issue at all. So again, there was a sort of sense of isolation or disconnection. They think that um, this, you know, I'll, I'll get to this later when we talk about point number three, but I think that something that women don't really know because we're not having that lived experience is the true fear that a lot of men fear, a lot of men feel around being creepy. They're really scared of coming across as creepy or um, having a woman feel unsafe around them. And so a lot of their coping mechanisms or strategies is to kind of either make themselves small or not be too sexual or not kind of go for things or not pursue because they are terrified of being labeled that guy that, that they would ever make a woman feel unsafe. My men, the men I work with, it's their worst fear. It's, it's, it's like paramount. They, they're terrified of coming across as creepy and having someone feel unsafe around them, particularly women. That is so fascinating about the loneliness and about the fear of being creepy or that guy and how that can limit their authentic expression and that they have men, you know, a lot of the same cultural confinement that we have, but just in different ways. And I really, um, yeah, I'm really hoping that hoping that listeners can have a new lens by which to view men that they're dating or in relationship with or connecting with on the apps because you said something that men don't always feel safe. They don't feel safe to open up emotionally with other men. And therefore, like, if you want to be with someone who's really open and available emotionally, we can have some compassion that he's never learned how to do that in our society unless he's done deep work. And I know a lot of times as women, we want him to draw us out and hold space for us and do all the things, but who's doing that for him? Who's teaching him how to do that behavior? Who's role modeling that? And we've talked before, you and I, about the importance of doing our work with people of the same gender, for lack of a better word, so that you can feel that support, women being witnessed by women, men being witnessed by men, and you can learn some of those tools, which is why the work you and Jason do in your Pillars of Presence program is just so, so amazing. Um, but without that sort of safe space for men to really connect with each other, no wonder men have a hard time connecting with women in a dating situation. Yeah, and I think it also leads to other 
problems that we see around men, a lot of men become codependent with their partner because they don't have a lot of connection outside the relationship. So it's, you know, a lot of our guys um, get really sad about being ghosted or get really sad about something not working out. And, they, and you know, that's helped drastically by the, by the program. But when they're, when they do feel disconnected and they don't feel like anyone's really with them in life, they're a lot more susceptible to obsessing about someone, right? Or it's sort of weird behaviors arise when we feel disconnected as human beings. That's just like part of what's true. They think that um, there's a lot of dysfunction that happens in, in men because they feel so isolated and alone and don't know what to do about it. And I, I think many of you listening may know this, but the Surgeon General of the United States of the United States just uh, launched an initiative around addressing the epidemic of loneliness because so many health outcomes are tied to it. So my point is a lot of the time we don't necessarily notice that we feel lonely. We notice that we feel irritable or we can't concentrate or we are using substances um, like alcohol or marijuana or video games. Video games aren't a substance, but behavioral addictions show up. So there are a lot of quote unquote symptoms of loneliness that we might not realize. It's really about a lack of connection. And that's something that we sort of emphasize in our program, just having men feel more connected to one another, has them show up in a more confident manner, feeling better about themselves, just knowing that they're not alone. And particularly knowing that other men have been through similar things, like a lot of the, um, we have a lot of stories in our program of men who were um, sort of put down or humiliated at a young age, so fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, like elementary school, middle school by other boys or girls, and it really affected them. So if they were, they were called gross or they were called disgusting or like, ew, like they, you know, there was one story where, um, I think a boy, whoa, some, someone imitated a girl and called him and said, like, do you want to go out? And he said yes and thought they were going out the next day and brought flowers and it was like a whole thing. And then um, and, it, and it was a joke and it was a joke on him and it really, really affected him. I mean, basically for the rest of his life, especially until this was the first time him, he was sharing this story in our group and a few other men had similar stories. So I think that so many of us human beings had tough, <laughs> tough moments in childhood of a whole variety, you know, different, but that, but there's something about sort of humiliation in front of a group around wanting to date, like what, what having a crush on someone or wanting, wanting that kind of connection. And then having that so severely shut down that I think I hadn't heard those stories until this program. I was not aware. I, I didn't, understand. I, you know, I heard about bullying. I was very fortunate to not be a victim of bullying myself, but I didn't really understand something that happens to a lot of people and really can affect them for a really long time. So more men than you think have had experiences like that and don't talk about it, right? They don't, they're not sharing about it. They're not, you know, the way that it's showing up is that they're scared to ask you out, right? The way that it's showing up is that they're scared to kiss you on the first date. That they, you know, I just had a client the other day talk about the re part of the reason he hasn't led. I think a lot of us women crave men leading, not dominating, but leading. 
part of the reason he hasn't led is he was so scared to take away a woman's power. So I think there are a lot of feminist men out there who are aware and cognizant of all the challenges that women have faced over the centuries, and they don't want to be that guy. They don't want to be the conqueror or the dominant or the, you know, and I'm using dominant in a specific context, not, not sexually, but they don't want to be that guy who's taking away her power. And so they've, <laughs> the balance has swung for those men all the way over to passive, right, which is the work that Jason and I do is kind of bringing them back to what we call the integrated man so that they're not, there's, there's dominating and there's being passive. And then there's the middle ground, which is leading. And that's what we teach because I think that's what women really want. We really, really want to be led. We don't want to be dominated, but we also don't want to lead. We want to be led with attunement. And that's basically what Jason and I teach. And it's really encouraging because I remember a man saying, Wow, this makes dating so much easier. Like when I lead, when I when I'm doing the things that you're teaching us, everything's smoother. And we're like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it and it never really stopped. You can keep leading in the relationship and have women feel safe to share with you because you're actually asking, right? You're opening up a space. Hey, I noticed that the energy just shifted. I'd love to hear what's going on for you. That's one of the things that we teach our men is men are a lot more tuned and intuitive and and paying a lot closer attention than you think they're just not asking you about what's going on they they notice that your mood shifted they notice that something's happening but they don't know what to do about it so they're like they're just hanging out so we sort of teach them how to create space to invite you out so that you can feel safe and share and i think that you know as you've spoken to and alluded to violet there are a lot of willing men like willing, wonderful men, I would say, that haven't had a lot of this training, or but there's nothing wrong with them. They're great men. They just don't have a few tools, but it is worth relating with them because they are willing and they are wonderful and they want to provide. Thank you for sharing that about the willingness. And sometimes we don't see that right away. You and I were talking before we started recording about the diamond and the rough and like that there are a lot of really great men. But what I find is sometimes as women and as human beings, we get in the mode of evaluating versus understanding. So mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of analyzing or trying to check off our box or with our arms crossed metaphorically, like, can he meet my needs versus, oh, what has this human gone through? And how can I show up in a way that makes it exciting for both of us? And I love that you're teaching your guys how to be more present, how to draw her out. I mean, one of my favorite things that Jason asks or any human being is, what's alive for you or what's on your heart? Like, oh, I love being asked those questions, you know? Um, And for women, you know, I think there's ways that we can make men feel safer to lead, saying things like, you know, I think it's really sexy when the guy makes the plans. I will be happy with this, this or this, or I'm really feeling like something adventurous. I trust you, like whatever you, whatever you have in mind. Do you have any other ways that you think women can make it easier for men to feel safe leading them? I think that one of the best ways to do that is to be vocal about what you're enjoying. Be vocal about what you're appreciating. Be vocal about things that he does or has done that had you feel safe or had you feel seen or had you feel held. Um, This is pretty obvious. We all know that positive reinforcement is effective. And 
what I would say is that what I have noticed, particularly in the couples that I work with, but also in some of the partners of, of men that I work with, is that many of us grew up in homes where we were only told when something wasn't working, right? We were only, the, the report card that you came home with, with three A's, a B and a C, what did your parents focus on? A lot of people's parents focused on the C or the D or whatever, the, the one grade that wasn't, wasn't there. And so the training a lot of us got was everything's sort of fine over here. Let's talk about this thing that's not working. And I think a lot of us do that in our relationships, particularly women. And so actually being vocal and learning how to say, I felt really taken care of that you picked this restaurant, right? If you show up to a date and he's picked a place and you put your attention on, like, I like what you chose. I'm happy here. That's going to have him feel safer to lead on that date, on the next date. And I think a lot of us women, we get kind of nervous or we were maybe we're worried about our own appearance, right? Or we're, we're sort of in our world. Everyone's sort of in their head, especially in dating. We're all concerned about ourselves. <laughs> but if you learn, if you learn that skill and it is a skill, and I'm working with a few of my the women in the couples that I work with, I'm working with the women in particular on learning how to be vocal about what's working, actually share moments when you're happy or having a good time or lit up or you feel good. I'm very uh, mindful of this, particularly in the early stages of dating. So one of the things that I'll do is leave a little voice note. If there was something I enjoyed or something I liked, I, I'll, I'll tell him, right? I'm, I'm sharing, I'm offering what's working for me and being vocal about it for a reason. One, I think it's a gift to the masculine, but two, it's, it is going to have him feel safer. I do want to um, verbally indicate, hey, I am interested in following. I do want you to lead. I like when you lead. I'm, I'm kind of giving him information about that because I think a lot of men in particular have been shamed or have been, you know, um, what is the word? taken down a peg or something, particularly in their relationships. And so if they're coming out of a relationship or a marriage where they were shamed for leading or it didn't work or she just shut them down repeatedly, it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable for him to lead. It's vulnerable for him to take steps towards a woman. So I want to make it extra safe because a lot of those men can do it. They can lead. They just have been shamed for a while and they're getting back into it. They're getting back into the rhythm of how to do it and, 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 and getting there. So anything that you can do to appreciate what he's already doing and be vocal about it repeatedly will help him and ultimately help you quite a bit. Absolutely. I mean, then it becomes a positive feedback loop, like a virtuous cycle. And I think sometimes there, for women and maybe people listening have this experience, you know, it feels vulnerable to appreciate something. It feels vulnerable to share that we're happy because we might be afraid that then they can manipulate us or they have information. But men and human beings in general, but especially men, they love appreciation. They love admiration. Now, I have worked with plenty of women who appreciate a man for something and he doesn't know how to receive it. He's kind of like, oh, um, thank you, you know, <laughs> like, and it's vulnerable for a man to be then taking that in. But I just want to clarify that if if you're appreciating a partner, a date, you know, someone in your life, even just a stranger for holding the door for you, and they can't really take it in, that's not on you. Like, you were generous with your heart. Maybe they could receive it. Maybe they couldn't. Many times with Jason, I will appreciate him 
I will think he doesn't really receive it. And then he'll do something like that again in the future. And I'll be like, oh, he was listening. He took in my appreciation. He just doesn't express the acknowledgement the same way, you know, that I would. So just trust that as you appreciate the people around you and the men in your life, it is going to make a difference. And in the rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing, it is making a stand to the universe that you appreciate the healthy masculine and you're going to get more of that in your life. Maybe from your date or your partner, maybe from someone else. But I feel like the more we can see men in their goodness and appreciate them for what they are doing and the ways they are growing, then the more that we see that in our life reflected and then we can just keep seeing it more often and create more of that societal change. Yeah, and I think there's something really to be said about um, the way that you share it. So for example, um, I remember my father gifted me some money at one point when I was in transition between different cities and I really needed help and I hadn't asked. He just gifted me this money. And I, I, I called him or I wrote him. I, I told him later, I said, I felt safer in the world because I knew that you had my back. I, I felt safer in the world that you gifted me that money. You know, I felt, I told him the impact on me. We talk about impact a lot in authentic relating. And that's what we mean is I felt safer or I felt really let in when you shared that with me, right? That conversation we had last night, I felt really let into your world. And I really love that. That's going to land differently than that was a great conversation, right? So that I think, you know, there, there's such a gift and an offering that we can make as women, as the feminine around the effect things have on us. And I guess we're sort of going out of order, but one of my points was something that you might not know about men is they really want to please you. They really want to get it right. They really do. I I think it's so easy for us to miss that, but they want to do that. And so, you know, as an example, I remember a good male friend of mine was trying to support me after something hard. And he was sort of saying some things that weren't really working. He was like, you're great. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. You're great. Sort of kind of things. And at the time I was suffering from low self-esteem as we all are. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I can sense that you want me to feel supported by you. I think your intention is that I feel supported. Here's what would have me feel supported is how have I affected your life in a good way? Have you, have, have I done anything that you've, you know, anyway, and then he wrote me this message and he said, um, my life is richer because you're in it. I learn and grow more because of you being around you is good for me. And I was really touched. And I told him, I was like, wow, I, that you just did it. I started to cry. I told him I'm crying. You know, I feel seen. I feel seen and I feel supported. I feel, I feel backed up. So I think that there's something about how we share that appreciation. Um, for example, one thing I I have shared with my man is I felt really held when I came, I came in the door last night and you like had a a warming drink ready for me. You had my hot water bottle ready. Like I felt really loved and held. And that again is different than thank you so much for the drink last night. Thank you so much for the water bottle. It's a different thing to say, I felt loved or I felt held. I felt let in. I felt like I could soften with you when these are all the kinds of ways that we can share. And so I think that, you know, I'm sure you talk about polarity a lot. You talk about masculine and feminine. And one of the things that I think I would just offer is us, when we soften, when we're 
are able to soften. And when we offer that softening to a partner, that is like catnip for the masculine. He is like, want it, want it, crave it, love it, want more of it. Yes. And that's a way that we can kind of proactively soften of like, hey, really, I know this is really small, but I really liked that when I messaged you yesterday, you got back to me right away. I felt more secure in our connection. That's another example. Like when you're in the dating process, even when it's early on, there are things that you can say of like, I felt secure that you got back to me right away. You know, I've related with other people and they've taken a while and I just wanted you to know that. That's going to have him, A, want to message you back, you know, continue to message you back in a timely fashion. But it's also going to indicate to him, oh, she's a woman who wants to be to be led, to be, um, she's able to soften. She's able to open. She's, I'm feeling her in this kind of, way that makes me want to get to know her more. Yes. And what I'm hearing in all of those examples is it's so heartfelt, right? And I think if people listening are thinking, well, soften, like I'm a badass person. Like I don't want to soften. Consider softening is just really dropping into your heart and being present in the moment and sharing how you're feeling and what your desires are. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, I think softening is a better word language wise than like surrender. I think surrender has its moments, of course, like spiritually, we're often in a state of surrender. But unless you're specifically in a substate in a sexual experience, like you don't necessarily have to surrender who you are or like your power, but it's about sourcing power from and with each other. It's about sharing power and expanding your power as a couple and as a date, or even if it's just a one time interaction. So instead of the man thinking, I don't want to take her power away from her from leading, And instead of the woman thinking, well, I don't want to like surrender. I don't want to soften because it's not authentic for me. It's more like, how can I reflect back the greatness of this human? How can I be super generous with my heart? And how can I share exactly like you said, the feelings and the impact this person is having on me? And maybe he'll be able to receive it. Maybe it won't. But I'm the type of person like make it an identity. You know, I'm the type of person who lives from my heart. I'm the type of person who shares when someone has an impact on me. I'm the type of person who celebrates the little moments, knowing that those will build into the bigger moments. And this is true also of things that you want to be different or to shift. So I know I've had dating experiences where I've said, um, I'm feeling a little anxious about um, this invitation, right? You invited me over for like to cook me dinner and I love that idea. And I've also had some like not great experiences and I'm not sure I'm ready for that. How would it feel if we do something else? That is an example of, again, you're, you're sharing the impact of like, Ooh, I'm noticing I'm feeling anxious, right? Like my stomach is squirrely. I want to say yes to you because I like you and I, I don't want to mess this up. And I'm anxious. Like I'm feeling anxious because again, I think again, we come back to this sort of different lived experience that men and women have had. And a lot of us women have had unsafe experiences. We've had experiences that did feel creepy, that did feel unsafe, that were unsafe. And a lot of particularly adult men haven't had those experiences in the same way. Young boys and and teenage men, I think a lot of them have. But as adults, they don't necessarily have their attention on safety in the same way that we do. And so there's, there are different ways to share, I guess is my point. And I've definitely used that of like, okay, I'm noticing I'm feeling anxious about this thing. And I wanted to share that with you because it's a, 
It's an inviting way of sharing something. And it also lets me see how he responds to that, right? If he responds really poorly, that's information. But I'm offering it in a way that I think is inviting in some way. And I think that similarly, um, and I'm sure that you teach this as well, but just it can feel better, I think, to men when it's shared as like, oh, I felt kind of dropped last night. I felt dropped is different than why were you late? So again, very few families of origin taught us how to do this. It's very, very different. It's a different orientation to train yourself to share the impact on you versus the event that happened. But I can tell you that for, for the men that I work with, it's infinitely more effective to do the impact. It, it catches their attention. And again, this is for tough moments and positive moments, like effervescent moments. I felt, I feel, I felt so lit up and radiant when you showed up with flowers. Is really different than the flowers were really great. There's nothing wrong with either version, but one is like, oh, she felt lit up and radiant. Like I wanted to, I want to do that again. I want to figure this out. That was, that's, that's the experience I want to have. And I think that's something that I've come to realize over the course of my work is just how much men really do want to provide for us. They really want to provide and, and, and succeed and success for them is us feeling good or happy or safe. And so when we say I felt safe when, or I felt happy when, we're giving them a gift. They're like, oh, that's my goal. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. I'm doing it right. And it's just, that lights them up. Absolutely. And if someone wants to get more information on like talking about the hard things, I did an episode a few episodes ago, I think it's 125 or something about how to clear resentments. And similar to what Mel is saying in that episode, I talk about, I feel, I want, like not you didn't do this or you did or blah, blah, blah. Like this is how I feel. I feel dropped to a point and I want to be able to trust you. I want to connect more deeply. I want to know that, you know, we both value this time together, whatever it is. Um, and it's interesting as we're talking, you know, we're talking a lot about dating when you're on dates, when you're in relationship, but sometimes we don't even get to that point, right? Like we're just on the apps, we're scrolling, we're, we're swiping. Like, can you share about your third point about what we might not know about men in relationships and dating specifically with the apps? Yes, I think this is one of the most drastic differences that we experience if we're people people who are dating. If you identify as a man on the apps, you are experiencing up to 80% fewer matches than if you identify as a woman. Up to 80% fewer matches. So men on the apps are getting way fewer matches. They're getting way fewer um, messages back. So even if they do match, the, the level of engagement is quite low. Um, and I think that's can be really discouraging for men. And so I know, you know, I have my women friends on the apps and sometimes they'll screenshot messages or just uh, profiles and you can you can feel the bitterness <laughs> in a lot of the men of just like their frustration, their frustration with it and how discouraging and what's the word disheartening it is to feel like not attractive. Nobody likes me. I'm not, you know, they're, they're just, they're not having the same experiences as women on the apps. And, um, and the other thing that I have, I think both sexes are experiencing quite a bit of is ghosting. And this behavior makes me really sad. It's, I can't tell you the number of men who've said, yeah, we had a great interaction. It seemed like it was going really well. And then 
crickets. Like, I don't know, did something happen to you? Are you okay? <laughs> there's, there's just no information. And, um, and I think it's important that we sort of, yeah, just honor each other, even if we haven't gone out on a date. It's not that there's a social contract, but if you've been communicating with someone, if you've been vibing with someone, I think it's respectful to just tell them what's going on. You know, like, hey, I realized I'm not actually ready to be dating. I'm getting off the apps or like, I'm feeling like this connection isn't really what I'm looking for. So I'm going to move on. And I just wanted to let you know so that I didn't ghost you. You know, you're allowed to be explicit about this is why I'm communicating with you. And I have talked about this for a while and a number of people have come back to me and said, I was scared to send a message like that, but I did. And almost always they got a message of like, thanks for telling me, thanks for letting me know, like, thanks for at least letting me know what's happening. So I think, yes, some people are going to respond poorly. And that's a lot of the time why we don't do it, what, right? Why we aren't honest about actually I'm not interested. And I get that, especially as a woman. And I would just, yeah, encourage you to to lean into that and to just really um, just understand that if if you were on the apps and you were getting that such such a small amount of response, um, it would probably affect you. And that's the boat that a lot of men are in. And I'm talking about normal people, right? Because I, I do think that, you know, it, across all of the apps, there's the top five or 10 percent of people that look like our standard of beauty and our culture and like lots of they're getting a lot of attention. So I'm not saying this is all all men, but just in the in the range of normal, there's a lot of um I don't know, just yeah, it's really hard. It's hard out there. <laughs> it's hard out there. Absolutely. And you know, sex bots and like fake profiles and what I'm hoping this episode conveys is that we know with a visceral lived experience how hard it is to date as a woman. And it's equally, if not harder, to date as a man. And I know to your point, there are some men that don't have that experience because I think the top 5% of men on, you know, 80%, 90% of the matches go to like 5% of the men or something. But just to keep in mind while you're scrolling and swiping and messaging, the compassion for the male experience and also the curiosity of like, okay, you know, this person might be slightly different than someone that I would normally connect with, but like I'm appreciating that they're asking me questions, that they're drawing me out, that they're following up, that they're responding. Like there's so much more because I've said this before. If I had seen Jason's profile, I would not have swiped on it. It's just like it said he's a filmmaker. I'm not personally like super passionate about film. There was not necessarily anything on his picture that was like, ooh, you know, that's my type. But but we have obviously this epic love. And so it's kind of interesting how, again, instead of evaluating more like understanding. And then you said something earlier about men really want to provide. And I think as women, we have cultural standards that have been drilled into us about what, in quotations, a real man provides. And I want to throw those out the window because one of my favorite things that Jason provides for me is adventure. I love adventure. Yes, I also really like it when he pays for our meal or when he, you know, treats me to something. But adventure is one of the big reasons I fell in love with him is because he brought me to experiences, Burning Man or hiking or other things that I wouldn't necessarily take myself. And so I encourage people who are listening to think about what do you want to be provided for from the masculine that's not tangible, that's not about money or about sex or about 
you know, something physical because I think we're evolving past that. You know, it's it's fine to want security, but security doesn't have to look like a certain amount of money or a certain body type or whatever those things are. Um, and as we start to deconstruct our own internalized patriarchy, then we can have more empathy and more clarity about what we really want, what will really light us up so that we can be authentic when we say, oh, it really lights me up. Not just when, yeah, you pay for dinner, but like it really lights me up when you take me on experiences I can't take myself and you open my mind to a new world and I can really trust your leadership in those ways. And I just wanted to add in that little caveat. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think when I say that word provide, I'm thinking especially of providing emotional safety, providing emotional safety, providing experiences of joy, providing um yeah, providing emotionally. I think that's something that is is becoming increasingly apparent in terms of our own ability as women to provide for ourselves physically and um yeah, just resource-wise, we don't need to be partnered with with someone in order to provide for ourselves. And we still really want partnership. We want we want partnership. We want to be in partnership. And there's a lot that a man provides outside of, like you said, the physical things that are deeply meaningful to us. And that's part of what we're kind of, like you said, learning to, to identify and to call forth and to vocalize, to be, to be vocal about, I love this, I love this, I love being provided this. And there was something that you said, um, I also want to quickly go back to the apps because uh, an experience that I've had is um, women often being frustrated, like, all he said was, hey, or it's just such a short message, right? It's just like, God, why aren't men making an effort? And what I would offer is many, many, many of my men have said, you know, when I first got on the apps, I was like crafting messages and I was like looking at her whole profile and doing, you know, doing this big thing and crickets, I wasn't getting anything back. And so I scaled back in order to kind of conserve my energy and attention. And so I would say, if he's not messaging you something long at first, don't give up on him. It is an act of, it is a, a gift if you make an effort back and are, you, know, you look at his profile and ask something, often you'll find he'll, he'll jump on that, right? He'll actually be really excited about the second message, the third message. So don't be discouraged if you're getting quote unquote lame or short messages at first, because so many men are just like, I don't get a response. So at this point, I'm just trying something and hoping something comes back, but it's, it's a, it's a different, um, different terms of engagement on, on that side. So just wanted to drop that in there. I've had that experience on apps of like, oh, what, you know, these messages are all really short and not really about something. And it feels like they haven't even looked at my profile. They had looked at my profile. They just hadn't wanted to take all of that effort because they just weren't sure I was ever going to respond. That's a great point. I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that, of not um, giving people maybe a, a message back if they just said, hey, and I understand a lot of my clients also feel similarly, but having the shared context now of that they have sent lots of messages and it has been crickets, it reminds me of, you know, Jason didn't pay for my coffee on our first date. And he was like, well, because it was a meeting, like I didn't know if we were going to date. And I was so burned from like paying for expensive dinners on a first date where the girl just wanted to be friends with me. So having that shared context can help us better understand the person's behavior and I do find that throughout dating and also throughout relationship, oftentimes women are the emotional leader. Like we share our feelings first. We kind of put a little more in communication wise um, at first, not always. And so responding to like a hey message with, 
um, something about their profile or what the highlight of their week is or something more detailed can be can be a nice offering, right? Like a generous offering. And I think we've talked about on previous episodes on your podcast, Dear Men, about um, send like send a message though. Sending a message is going to get you more relationships than and dates than just not saying anything and just hearting their profile or or something. We do have to put effort in, right, into the apps. And I think that's something that I'm still learning in relationship is often I will extrapolate out like, oh, he wasn't able to show up for me in this one instance, which means he's never able to show up for me. And I'm starting to learn like, that's not necessarily true. It could maybe I could contain it to he didn't show up in this instance rather than that means that forevermore he can never he will never show up for me in this way. And I think a lot of us probably do that. and I, I have had to repeatedly learn that it doesn't mean it's never going to get better, right? It's just because we weren't skillful with this conflict doesn't mean we'll never be skillful with conflict. Or just because I felt dropped by him on this one night doesn't mean I'll never feel held by him. And I think truly that there is a young part of me and there's a protective part of me. And the protective part of me is like, that was so awful. We never want that to happen again. So we're going to make this story that he's never able to do this, right? That, that somehow it's a protective mechanism and yet it's, it, it's actually limiting me from connection because it, it, I have this convincing story that he's just useless and, you know, never going to be able to hold me. And so I've got to hold myself because I've been doing that for a really long time, right? Who can relate to that story? Guess I can't rely on anyone. Rather than like, wow, last night really sucked. I felt really dropped and really, you know, whatever the feelings were. And where do we go from here? I think that's something that I'm continually learning in relationship is to not um, catastrophize. Yeah, I mean, that's hard when those protective parts come online. And I always think of that as it's like our inner critic can also then become an external critic. Like we're really hard on ourselves or really hard on our man or the person we're dating or getting to know and then finding compassion for the part of us that feels hurt. Like the vulnerable part, the inner child part is normally the one who feels dropped or has these things come up. And so giving her voice and finding like the adult part of ourselves that can say, oh, this is my protector. What is it truly that my inner child needs? Like how do we want to handle this in a thoughtful way? And kind of looping back to what you're sharing about ghosting, like, In my experience, most men love getting feedback when it's like, I felt dropped or I felt missed in this way, or I really would have wanted this. Even if you don't plan on going on a date with them or there's just not a connection, saying like, not feeling what I want to feel in order to move forward and here's how or here's why. And, you know, I wish you the best in life or love. Like, it's not our job as women to make men better men, but it is our opportunity as humans to share our truth with each other so we can all grow and all evolve and Um, It also just kind of creates good dating karma. But I will say, you know, I did go someone long time ago, like maybe, I don't know, 12 or 15 years ago. Adam Strong, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. (laughs) We went on two or three dates and and I think I want to give voice to sometimes the experience of a man or of a woman, of anyone who's like ghosting is, for me, it was fear. It was like, I'm feeling something that's terrifying. And looking back, like that seemed to be a very healthy person. And I think I was probably terrified that he was healthy and all my messy parts would come out. So like I ghosted someone amazing that I shouldn't have ghosted. And, you know, I'm glad it happened because then I ended up meeting my husband years later. But um, even when someone goes to just have compassion that 
something in their attachment style or something in the way they communicate or something in their life is coming up. It doesn't mean that like you're a bad person or that you did something wrong. It's just that relationships are hard and messy and hopefully we can all get better about closing, closing those loops. But the point of what I'm trying to say is feedback shared with an open heart is always a gift to the masculine, especially because they don't have as many interactions as we have. They don't get as much practice as we get. And so being generous with what feels good and then where it doesn't feel so good is great. And there's so many times in my relationship with Jason where I've been like, okay, this conversation is going to end things. Like when I share this feedback, it's going to be over. And it actually brings us closer. He's like, wow, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I didn't realize you were so pissed off about that. Like, I'm happy to change that, you know? So um, that emotional leader, that courage as a woman to share can evoke even more masculine. Um, Another thing Jason says is, if you're looking for a conscious man, men aren't just walking around conscious. Like it's the feminine that helps wake them up to be more conscious. And I know a lot of women I work with feel resentful about that. Like, well, he should just be conscious. He could just be whatever. But think about how we should, as women, in quotations, should be walking around like in our radiance and in our pleasure. And then yet when someone opens the door for you or asks you out or gives you a compliment or tells you how special you are or hugs you in close or plans an epic date, like there's a higher level of radiance and pleasure that comes online. So the men are still conscious, they're doing their work, but there's a higher level of consciousness that can be unlocked when we're generous in these ways. I love that. And I'm inspired by hearing you share about the um, being emotionally truthful and having your partner meet you there. And I think this brings us to a pretty good point about safety in relationships. So um, there are two sort of essential energies in I'm just going to talk about men for this. This works for women too. And you'll probably bring that up. The heart energy and the cock energy. And I'm specifically using the word cock to be a little provocative because that's part of that energy, right? So heart energy is, um, it's connection, it's softness, it's um, resonance, it's allowing, it's um, space holding, it's safety, it's it's that, that region, that zone. Cock energy is penetrative, it's leading, it's um, uh, pioneering, it's newness, it's direction. And this maps pretty, pretty much to yin and yang energies in duality, like the idea of duality. And what I find in my work a lot is that we work with a lot of men who have heart energy um, in spades, right? They can connect, maybe they have women friends, um, maybe they get friend zoned a lot, they're getting first dates, they're not getting second dates. Sometimes they report their dates feeling like interviews or what did what did someone say the other day? Interrogation. It's like, I feel, I feel like our date felt more like an interrogation than, than like a juicy dialogue. Um, and so when these are not in balance, there's something off. So if a man has lots of heart energy and not as much cock energy, right, he's going to probably get friend zoned. And it's going to feel a certain way to interact with him. If a man has a lot of cock energy and not a lot of heart energy, he's probably a fuckboy. That is the, um, I think, the archetype of the man that our men don't want to be. They don't want to be that guy. The guy with a lot of cock energy and not a lot of heart energy isn't attuning to the people around him. He is a taker. He is dominating. He doesn't give a fuck. That's the guy they don't want to be. But that is an archetype in our culture. And I think a lot of, essentially, that is the, the patriarchy, right? That's the sort of idea of like, well, a man just takes what he wants and he doesn't care. And, you know, he it, it's not healthy, right? 
And when you have them in balance, then you have an integrated man. You have a man who is in touch with his heart and who can lead, who is in touch with his power, his power, not his dominance, but his power, his true internal power of I'm connected to my body. I'm connected to the earth. I, I can feel that this is what's next for us. Or I'm attuning to you and I can feel this is something that you're needing. I'm going to check in with you about it. I'm feeling like it's really noisy in here. I would like to connect with you more deeply. How do you feel about going for a walk? For example, right? And so a lot of the time, I think that the men who have a lot of heart energy going on can provide emotional safety, but they're not providing as much in the realm of polarity. So a lot of women are swiping left on that guy. They're like, well, you can't, you can't give me that good D, right? Like I, I want that good D. Like I want that fire. I want that. I want that spark. I want the chemistry. I want to. I want. I don't know a woman that doesn't want to just get fucked sometimes. So a lot of my work with men is bringing those two energies into balance and helping men access their power, step into their power, learn to lead, actually feel safe leading because they've a lot of them, like I've said, have been shamed or denigrated out of leading in the past. And I think it's helpful. Yeah, for women to realize that it is totally possible for men that that have a lot of heart energy and not a lot of cock energy going on, they can step into their power. It is possible for that transformation to take effect. And I think when I was younger in my 20s, I definitely overlooked a lot of men that were in that category because I just assumed, as we were discussing earlier, well, if they can't show up that way right now, that's it. They're never going to show up that way, right? If they can't show up and and if I don't feel like they can kind of take me, I'm going to give up on them. And and I'll be honest, it does take something for men to step into their power. They do need support. A lot of them do need to be around other men or in programs like ours where they're they're learning how to do that and they're feeling safe stepping into their power. And they're because like, for example, a lot of our guys are like, well, I, I've never felt safe um, to go into my anger, to access my anger because I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to destroy things. I don't want to be a destructive force. So they've completely eliminated, quote unquote, eliminated, really stuffed down all of their anger. And yet that's part of where their power lives. So reclaiming that kind of thing in a safe way is part of what we do in our work together. But I I think that I wish I'd known that when I was younger of like, there are some really great guys that have a lot of heart energy online and their cock energy is there. It's dormant. It hasn't been accessed. It hasn't come forth as much. But it can, and you can have a really great partnership with a man who's moving in that direction. And for a lot of women, you know, that emotional safety is such an important piece that it's kind of like, if that's there and you can work on the other stuff, sometimes that works. And I don't know if you can speak to that at all yourself. Absolutely. And I think there's a difference between it being completely turned off, like the cock energy just not being there at all, or sexual trauma reasons, or maybe if someone is asexual or just something, um, versus like it's there, but it's not always consistent or it's not there like as much as I would want it to be. And again, there is like this deep desire for men, healthy men, for women to be safe. And so they're like learning that. But oftentimes as women, we're also learning to connect to our pussy and to our pleasure and to our receptivity sexually and to us like really getting out of our heads and getting into our body because most women have trauma in their in their pussy or in their womb space, even if it's not sexual trauma, emotional, you know, um, issues, things from our parents that 
energetically we're storing in those deeply receptive tissues because that's the deepest in quotation part of a woman is her is her womb space so being able to appreciate a man for when he does bring the cock energy when he is being that erotic leader you know earlier I talked about the emotional leader oftentimes the woman will be that and I think a lot of times we're looking for a man being the erotic leader sexually but also that penetrative energy of penetrating our consciousness planning dates for us opening our hearts like planning adventures, all of, all of that. Um, I'm thinking specifically about like my ex-husband, my first husband, there was just zero cock energy. Like it just wasn't there. And granted, neither of us had done any work on ourselves. Like it might be there now. I don't know. Whereas Jason had cock energy and has cock energy. And I would say that it's inconsistent. It's become more consistent over time as he's done more work on it. But if I would have rejected him because it wasn't always there 100% of the time, then I could have missed out on someone who's who's now my life partner. So what I'm hearing is grace, right? Like we don't want to enable or coddle our partner, but we can show some grace and show some patience the same way that we're not always in like a sexy receptive mode. And I wouldn't want to be with a man who's like, why aren't you juicy right now? Why aren't you receptive? Why don't you want me? You know, like. He, he, Jason gives me grace that, yeah, sometimes I'm in like mom mode. Sometimes I'm in boss mode. Sometimes I'm in, I'm in just a different space, but we can celebrate each other's full humanity. And I think that's, you know, polarity is a useful tool in moderation. Like we don't need to always use polarity, but we need to be able to go there when we need to polarize a situation, when we need to bring more of our, you know, the equivalent of the cock is pussy, but you could also call it dark feminine. Like, can we bring our rage? Can we bring our emotion? Can we bring their sultriness and seductiveness? Versus just caretaking, you know, the opposite of the dark feminine over indexing in the heart is like the mother. Oh, how are you? Are you okay? Let me take care of you. Oh, it's okay. That's fine. You can walk all over me, you know, like that sort of energy. It's, yeah, I'm remembering I went to a Tantra workshop years ago and there was a woman and she, when it came to put attention on her, she said, Yeah, I just feel like I can't tell you how many men have said, You know, it just feels like you're my sister. You know, you're just such a great, friend and she was basically talking about getting friend zone. She was a woman who like you said over indexed on on the heart didn't have that pussy energy that that dark feminine and she wanted men to want her. She wanted men to want her in the same way that a lot of my guys are like I want women to want me. Why isn't this happening for me? And it's like because you've cut off this whole part of yourself. And again I'm using the word, you know, the term cock energy. It's not just about the penis, it's not just about that region but it is about power and there is darkness there and there is rage and there is, you know, it's all first and second chakra stuff that has been like, well, again, a lot of men have shied away from it because they don't want to be that guy. They don't want to hurt people. They don't want to hurt people, particularly women. They've tucked it away or they've, they've you know, they've, they're putting it over here. And a lot of our work is kind of like, eh, let's bring that back. Like, that's not all bad. You know, like, let's, figure out how to work with this, but that's part of where your power comes from. And I was just um, on with a client recently who is married and he's been bringing more of this presence and um, just, yeah, more of, more of his cock energy just in his own body, not necessarily projecting it out or using it in any way. And his woman is noticing. He's like, yeah, I feel, I can feel her circling around me in a different way. Like it's working and, and it, and it is subtle. But it's a it's a rightness with ourselves. It's a rightness with our own sexuality. And I keep one of the things I drill into my guys is your cock is sacred. Your cock is sacred. It's a sacred part of you. You you get to include it. You know, 
doesn't have to be it's been such an agent of destruction in so many cultures around the world for such a long time that the good guys, right, the guys that are paying attention have a lot of feelings about it. Like, is this part of me okay? Am I okay that I want sex? Or am I a, a sex fiend? Is there something wrong with me that I want to have sex? And then you add religion on top of it, and it's a whole mess. So reclaiming that is like, yeah, that's part of your life force. We want that from you. We want to feel wanted by you. So I think there are a bunch of men that are on kind of a journey of rediscovery and learning how to integrate that energy. Like, how the fuck do I do that? Like, I can't tell you the number of guys who've made an analogy about the Hulk, right? The Incredible Hulk. Like, well, I feel like if I go into my rage or if I go into that stuff, I'll just become this force of destruction and I don't want that. So I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And I think that's really part of the value of mentors and guides, whether it's a coach or a therapist or a safe group or whatever it is, containers, because as human beings, you know, that's one of the things we've lost through time is tribe and small communities and elders and mentors and way, way showers in, in our community, right, in our immediate vicinity. And so you know, it is important and to get the right help, to get the right mentorship, to get in the right spaces to learn all of the things that we're talking about. Because like I said, it's not just possible, it's actually probable that if you get yourself in the right environment, it's going to happen. And I've, like I said, I've been surprised by how quickly transformation can happen. Like, wow, you really, like, you're different. You know, like our program is only 10 weeks long. And in 10 weeks, I'm like, holy shit, like you're a different man. And your whole trajectory now is different because you're you're only going to continue to evolve. Totally. I've seen the same thing in my work with women. Like within three months, you can have profound transformation. And sometimes that transformation looks like deep changes inside. And then the external transformation happens in the following months or whenever. And, and then sometimes you need another round of work, like whether that's coming back into a coaching container one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's going to a retreat, whether it's doing a new program, like whether it's creating your own men's group or your own women's group, there's so many different things. But to your point, like once the transformation happens, you're never the same. And everything after that always gets, you know, gets better. It, it takes that work you've already done and it multiplies it. And I want to just name, you know, the work, the, the talking that we've done about the dark feminine and about masculine cock energy is also for you listening as women to know that a man can show his power in different ways. You can help him feel safe to show his power, to be um, graceful in in his evolution and to be graceful and connected to yourself too. Like if you're wanting a man who's more connected to his cock, how connected are you to your pussy? How connected are you to your orgasm and your receptivity? So it's really an invitation for us to be um, more compassionate with the men and more understanding with the men in our lives and that we're meeting, but also to be deeply committed to us doing our work. You know, every time that I've grown, Jason has always like risen up to meet me. And then there's times he grows and then I rise up to meet him. But like you doing your work as a woman will always attract a deeper man and men doing their work will always attract, you know, a more generous, more connected, embodied woman. So how can people reach you and find out about you and also find out about the work that you do with Pillars? Yeah. So if you're interested in learning more about uh, our work, you can listen to my podcast, Dear Men, How to Rock Sex, Dating, and Relationships with Women. That is, again, mostly for a um, hetero audience any or any men who have sex with women. And you can find out more about me at MelanieCurtain.com, which will probably go in the show notes. 
Um, and there was something I wanted to say about, oh yeah, power and openness. I think as we're, we're talking about this, one thing that I'm, I'm aware of is it's not about whether a man or a woman is already there. It's about, are they willing to go there? Are they open to going there? Right. It's about if a man isn't fully in his power, does he want to be? Is that interesting to him? Does he want to grow in that way? It's more about that. And to your point, you know, it's funny because we get the same question you get. I'm sure you get this question. Our men say things like, where are the women who are doing their work? I want to connect with the women doing their work. And the women are like, where are the men doing their work? So we are there. They are out there. We are out there. And that point that you made is one that I frequently make to my men, which is the very best way to attract an emotionally healthy, aware, attuned partner is to become that person yourself. Because what I've repeatedly seen is that as our men grow and evolve and change and expand, the women they attract are different, right? They start having an easier time. They start attracting different kinds of women. So there really is something about the um, part of polarity around reciprocity, meaning we, we tend to attract our reciprocal. So as we do our work, it's the best investment you can possibly make. In your dating future is, do, is doing your own work. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all of the insights, for giving us the three things we might not know about men's experience in dating and sex and love. And yeah, I'm just hoping that everyone who listens to this or who shares it to the men in their life or other people who might need to get this information, that we can elevate our understanding of each other and create deeper and more lasting connections. Thanks for tuning in and turning on for healthy love because better relationships mean more power, more creativity, and a better planet. If you want more love, pleasure, and power in your life, go to violetlang.com forward slash talk 